Heritage Foundation. I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Mass Have. Seeing loved ones, trying new food, breathtaking views, amazing hikes, art, music, sunshine, beaches, romance. These are just some of the reasons we travel. According to the U.S. Travel Association, in 2017, direct spending by resident and international travelers in the United States averaged $2.8 billion a day. People love to travel, and it's great for the economy. But don't we always hear people say, I wish I traveled more? I know I do. So what's holding us back? My guess? It's expensive to travel. In addition to transportation costs, hotels can cost hundreds of dollars per night, and usually more in popular destinations. But luckily for us, the world continues to innovate. The next time you travel, will you book a room through Airbnb? More and more Americans are, and it's really having an impact on the hotel business. Barclays Bank is out with a report titled, Hotels, is Airbnb a Game Changer? Imagine this, 25 million people booking rooms through Airbnb, and they're not just rooms. You can book everything from a Winnebago to, they've got 600 castles. Our interview today is with Romina Baccia. Deputy Director of Heritage's Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies and Grover M. Herman Research Fellow. We talked to her about the Airbnb effect and new research that's proving that alternative lodging is actually increasing tourism and overall travel with direct benefits for local economies. Romina, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Okay, so I think at this point we've all heard of Airbnb. It's uh, the online marketplace that lets people rent out their properties or spare rooms to guests. Started in 2009, and since its inception, a lot of things have happened. Romina, what is what people are dubbing the Airbnb effect? The Airbnb effect is um, mostly active in cities that see a lot of tourists and visitors and especially during peak periods. What it means is that when when there's more demand during a peak period for a city, say, for example, in Washington, D.C., the inauguration is such a peak period, hotels actually don't have enough supply. They don't have enough rooms to fill all the demand. So the way in which they've been responding in the past is that they've jacked up the rates incredibly because there's more need for rooms than there is supply. The Airbnb effect allows individuals to rent out a room or maybe their entire apartment or house during those peak periods and add to the available supply of housing when it's most needed. And what has happened to hotels is that they have not been able to jack up their rates as much, so those rates have declined slightly during those peak periods. If you think about it from a homeowner's perspective, when you have a stranger that you just met online, perhaps you've had a few message exchanges with the person. When you when you have that stranger stay in your home with all your belongings, this is probably your only home, that is a big risk you take on. So hosts are much more likely to take that risk on when the reward for doing so is big, and that tends to be more so the case during these peak periods. There aren't actually that many hosts that try to operate hotels. 
It's more that when it makes sense, when it works for their schedule, they'll supply a room or an entire lodging establishment on the platform. And then when uh, demand is low and they wouldn't be able to charge as much, they might just not rent at all or have family members stay there or maybe take a longer-term tenant, like an intern, for example. And so, Romina, I think we should let our listeners know that not only are you a leading fiscal and economic expert at the Heritage Foundation, but you're also an Airbnb host, correct? That's right. I've been a host for almost three years now. So, and for people who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about how this works in terms of revenue for being a host? How much do you get and how much of that does Airbnb get? So, all hosts set their own rates. I think Airbnb mandates a minimum of $10 a night, but beyond that, it's totally up to the host what they want to charge. And you can find everything from being able to crash on somebody's couch for maybe $35 a night to um, renting an entire villa for you know m- multiple thousands of dollars a night. So there's a huge variety of offerings on Airbnb, but also on HomeAway and VRBO because there are other sites or FlipKey is another one and TripAdvisor, Booking.com. So people refer to it as Airbnb. It's sort of like because they made the whole business popular and well-known. They're like the Kleenex of the marketplace, but there are other providers. So when you go on the site, you can see what the average price is. I think in a DC area for a room, it's about $150, but there's a wide range, everything from like $40 to $1,000. Airbnb collects 15% of the total proceeds. 12% they collect from the guest to cover their own costs, those are the so-called service fees. And then there's 3% for processing the credit card transaction for the host, and they take that from the host. So the total overhead they impose is about 15%, but that can fluctuate. I think they take a lower percentage if it's a more expensive listing. All right, so back to its effects on the economy. You wrote in your piece on The Daily Signal and on Heritage.org that – it's not just good for travelers, but good for the local economy as well. Can you explain how that happens? Yes. So what the researchers have found is that Airbnb doesn't necessarily take away guests from hotel listings, but rather it increases the overall number of travelers that come to a city. Young people, students, the retired generation on fixed incomes, there are a lot of people that find hotels too expensive. And Airbnb gives them an alternative option to visit places that they've never been to or that they just want to visit again. And so what the researchers with the National Bureau of Economic Research Study have found is that about half of all Airbnb stays that occurred during the period that they were looking at, which was up until 2014, these would not have resulted in hotel stays. These were people that wouldn't have traveled to that area if alternative lodging options like Airbnb had not been an option for them. And that helps the local economy because now you have more visitors come to a town. They need to eat somewhere. They they, they likely buy things produced in the local economy. Um, they go to the museums. They go to concerts. They support uh, local vendors. And that expands the market for those local businesses. Another way that Airbnb is a boon to local communities is that Oftentimes, hotels are clustered in city centers, but Airbnb allows guests to stay in the suburbs. 
and in a, a number of other areas where those areas might not usually see as many visitors otherwise. And now through these new lodging options being more spread out, restaurants and other vendors in smaller communities and suburbs are also benefiting. That's great. Yeah, so what are some of the other things about Airbnb that makes it more attractive than traditional lodging options? You mentioned just style, right? Different options and things you can choose about where you stay and what they look like. Yeah, so you have more options when it comes to neighborhoods, or perhaps you want more privacy. Like in a hotel, you'll usually bump into other guests. In an Airbnb, you could rent a cottage in the woods, for example, uh, where you have uh, plenty of privacy. Um, For families, it's also very attractive because they're often looking for a place where they can gather with uh, multiple generations under one roof. So being able to rent a home rather than a block of hotel rooms allows them to share common spaces like a living room and cook together in a kitchen, maybe have a private outdoor space like a patio or, or a deck, uh, maybe even with a pool that they can enjoy privately with their family. So that's been a big draw, especially for family reunions. And then it's also being able to stay with somebody who's local. I personally, um, I'm a rock climber. And when I go to a new area where I don't know the rock and I don't know the good routes, I try to find an Airbnb host who's also a rock climber, and then they usually lend me their guidebook, so I don't have to buy that. Those guidebooks can be $100 a book. I might only go climbing there once. I don't want to have to buy the book if I don't have to. So, And I can get the local scoop on where are the good routes, where to go when it rains, all of those kinds of things that maybe I could find on a blog, but... It's also nice to just be able to stay with somebody local who can give you that local scoop and those recommendations or even just where to go eat. Okay, but of course, not everybody loves Airbnb and legislators in several states have been trying to create obstacles for short term rentals. What are they doing? The hotel industry has been uh, making this big push behind regulating short term rentals because they see it as their competition. It's somewhat surprising because, especially in 2016, um, hotels have seen some of the largest profits and uh, largest occupancy rates than ever before. It's not like they're suffering. Like, they're doing really well. They're being highly profitable. But it cuts into their margins a little bit. The NBER study we talked about earlier um, showed that their profits declined by about 1.3%. They would have made that much more if Airbnb hadn't been an option. That's a really small difference compared to the value created for local communities, for consumers, for travelers and hosts. So I think we need to do a cost-benefit analysis there. So what are lawmakers doing? Well, they're responding to the hotel lobby. They tend to be very powerful. Uh, In Maryland, for example, where I live, Marriott has made a big push to regulate the industry. And there's some regulation that uh, can be beneficial. Like it's... it's, um, there's tax collection, for example, that can be facilitated, sales and use tax collection, where having regulation on the books can help with that. Um, there might also be certain safety rules that could be beneficial. But a lot of the approaches that we've seen out there have been really excessive from banning the rental of an entire unit altogether or severely limiting how many days hosts are able to share their accommodations with guests or limiting um, home sharing to 
only um, those individuals who are using their primary residence. So that means if you had a vacation home, for example, that you wanted to rent out and you lived in another state, um, or perhaps it's just your second home, then you wouldn't be able to do it. So there have been the regulations being discussed in many states are are, are excessive and yeah. More yeah, I read. So, yeah. um, sorry, Condé Nast Traveler writes that renting out an entire apartment in New York City for a stay less than 30 days is illegal, and advertising such rentals are illegal with fines up to $7,500. And in 2017, two individuals were fined $17,000 between them for renting out a residence for fewer than 30 days. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money, and those fines are set excessively high in order to deter the behavior altogether. Um, So we have to question why those rules exist and who they're set up to benefit. And I think it's very clear that these are um, pursued in order to benefit special interests, primarily the hotel industry. So, Ramina, to wrap things up, what's the conservative approach to Airbnb? What would you say to the industry that supposedly Airbnb is hindering? So... Hotels just need to compete. They need to um, offer more attractive um, arrangements for guests. And I think they can learn a lot from this short-term rental market. What is it that these people are looking for that we are not currently providing? How can we respond to their needs? I think one big thing, too, that I find to be a great benefit of the short-term rental market is the ability to rate every listing after your stay. You're able to leave that feedback, and that really incentivizes the host to do their very best to provide you with a very clean and uh, comfortable accommodation and to accommodate you when you have other requests and needs. And you can leave um, reviews on hotel sites too, but I don't think the feedback mechanism works as well. It's not regular. Most of the people that end up leaving those reviews have had a bad experience. And on Airbnb, they've really established a system where everyone is expected to leave a review after every stay. Yeah. And um, that creates a lot of accountability and helps with some of the information asymmetries between hosts and guests. And it's a unique and novel approach um, that I think works better than regulation. Um, Yeah, so I think for for the legacy industries like the hotel industry and bed and breakfasts, um, they're they're thriving. Um, They're doing well. um, And I, I don't think they should try to squash their competition, but they should learn from it look at the market and uh, innovate and be creative in order to attract better customers. It's a really interesting topic. Thank you, Romina, for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. And that's it for this episode of Mass Ave. As always, please subscribe on iTunes or leave us a comment. It's the best way for us to get feedback from you and to help grow the podcast. You can read more of Romina's thoughts on Airbnb in our show notes on heritage.org. And please tune in next week where we're going to be explaining the marriage penalty. Mass Ave is produced by Michelle Cordero with editing by Thalia Rampersad.